Gracious Father, we ask for strength and wisdom and grace. Thank you for the privilege of this conference. Thank you for having uh, been with us. Father, do not pass us by on this Sunday. We ask that you bless us now with your spirit and the reading of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Some quotes I'd like to start off. We will go to Scripture. John Stott, a very famous preacher, said this, quote, Before we begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another very uh, famous non-Adventist evangelical preacher, he says this, quote, Look again at the cross, my friend. Take another survey. Examine it again with greater depth and profundity. And having seen the grace and mercy and the compassion and the kindness of God, look again, and this is what you'll see. You'll see the righteousness of God. You'll see the justice of God and His holiness. It is the place of all places in the universe where these attributes of God can be seen most plainly. Ellen White, manuscript page 31. In manuscript 31, I should say. The one great central truth to be kept ever before the mind in the searching of the Scriptures is Christ and Him crucified. Every other truth is invested with influence and power corresponding its relation to this theme. It is only in the light of the cross that we can discern the exalted character of the law of God. The soul palsied by sin can be endowed with life only through the work wrought out upon the cross by the author of our salvation. Manuscript 49. You guys still with me? Is this too much this morning? <laughs> you laugh nervously. <laughs> <That's>, uh, well. <laughs> Manuscript 49, 1898, Ellen White. Hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. This is our message, this is our argument. This is our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope for every believer. If we can awaken an interest in men's minds that will cause them to fix their eyes on Christ, we may step aside and ask them only to continue to fix their eyes upon the Lamb of God. You know, our theme here at GYC Canada is to take the Adventist gospel to all of Canada. Question, what is the Adventist gospel? Isn't the gospel the gospel? What is this Adventist gospel? I mean, well, we are different from the evangel. We believe in the same gospel as the evangelical church. We believe in Christ crucified. We believe in the same emphasis. But where is the difference? The evangelical churches see the cross as their primary lens and the all in all and the end of all things. Adventists look at salvation through the lens of the heavenly sanctuary. Yes? But what powers the heavenly sanctuary? What is the bloodline of the heavenly sanctuary? It is the blood of Jesus, made possible by the cross of Christ. Amen? So we believe in the same gospel, but we take almost the kind of, kind of like, you know, you've got to zoom out with your two fingers and see how this works out. Now, as we looked at uh, on Friday, Saturday, and, and through Sebastian Braxton's messages, 
Christ not only died for you, but he died for the issues of the universe to vindicate the character of God, of which we play just a very small part, but a very important part nonetheless. Regardless, Christ hanging upon the cross is still the gospel that we believe. The Jews did not like Jesus, yes? The Jews believed Jesus was a subversive preacher, and he was charged with theological blasphemy. Caiaphas was in charge of the trial, and they said, look, this guy is annoying. We got to get rid of him. Our Jewish narrative will crumble if he continues. We've come up to this point, and we've we've come up to this, this kind of legal standing, and if he continues, what we've worked up to will be demolished. We got to nix him. The Romans also said something similar. They did not like Jesus. They said that Jesus was a revolutionary activist charged with political treason and sedition challenging the authority of Caesar. Pilate, the Roman procurator, was in charge of the trial, and they said this, if he continues what he's going to do, our Pax Romana, the longest this world has ever seen peace, this will crumble, and he's annoying, we got to get rid of him. This unholy alliance between the Jews and the Romans occurred where Jesus was a threat to law and order. Jesus was a threat to the status quo. Jesus was a threat to their narrative. And so this morning's sermon title is, in, uh, sermon title is an interruption to narrative. C.S. Lewis calls Jesus the transcendental interferer. Oh, I love that transcendental interferer. Question, has Jesus threatened your narrative? Is Jesus convenient and comfortable for you? Does he fit nicely into your life story? Has he blessed your education and your finances? And now is he going to bless your marriage and your children and your mortgage and, and your things? Does he fit perfectly into your narrative? Because everywhere in Scripture, for everyone else, he was very inconvenient to the point where they wanted to kill him. So if Jesus is too comfortable and too, if he dovetails into your life, maybe something is wrong. Maybe you believe in a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. The method to remove Jesus was the crucifixion. It wasn't some hidden assassination. It wasn't some, something that was peaceful and some, some quiet death. It was humiliation by being stripped naked. His hands were nailed and roped to the horizontal wooden beam. His feet were attached to the vertical the, the pole. The cross was placed in the socket. The peg secured his entire body weight. It was this intense physical pain. He was publicly ridiculed, naked, embarrassed in front of everyone. There was no loincloth as many you know, crucifixes portray. There was the daytime heat, the torture of the sun. There was the nighttime cold. And with the blood all around him, it cooled and caused hypothermia. Interestingly, the Bible does not mention any of this information. Only, the Bible says, they crucified him. No other detail. 
All four Gospels, Matthew 27, 35, they crucified him. Mark 15, 25, they crucified him. Luke 23, 33, they crucified him. John 19, 18, where they crucified him. Question. This is the study, the word study for this morning. Who crucified Jesus? Who killed Jesus? Who is this they? You ever talk to some people? I'm like, well, they're out there. Uh, who is this they that you speak of? Them. Well, they crucified you. Well, who is they? Some of you are, are, are talking back to me. I have no idea what you're saying because it's in a Canadian tone, which is polite enough to speak up but not enough to be heard. Um, and, and, and it sounds like you're saying, which I interpret to be Jews, yes? Not getting the J, I'm getting the U. Maybe it's some French word that you're saying that I don't know what it is, but... There is this word in, in Greek that I'd like to, for you to, to repeat after me. Please repeat after me this morning, yes? Para. Para. Paradidomai. Paradidomai. It's a Greek word. It's one of those words that, that preachers pretend to know what, they, what it means and pretend to be all, I don't really know what it means, but I know what it's translated as. And it's repeated over in the Gospels. And if you read in the English, it kind of, you don't really see it. But in the Greek, it's, it's there. Parodidomai. Didomai means to give. Parodidomai means to give over or mean betrayed. Betrayed. And so this morning, we're going to look at three passages which clearly dictate who crucified Jesus, who betrayed Jesus. Are you ready this morning? First passage, go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 15. 15 and 16. Please hurry up. Please hurry up. You're making the sermon so long. Matthew 26, verse 15 and 16. While you're uh, looking it up, I'll read it. <clears throat> I have the convenience of it having on my device here. 15, 16, Matthew chapter 26. The Bible says, And said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to... No, 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 no. Yeah, yes, yes. Some of you are quick. Some of you are still waking up. To what? Paradidomai him. You understand? You know, many people feel sorry for Judas. They're like, oh, poor Judas. Though He was just the wrong character, the wrong place, and the wrong time. In one way, he was fulfilling Scripture. I mean, he was predicted in the Old Testament. But Bible theology, biblical theology, tells us that each individual is liable for his own guilt, and he did these actions willingly. Acts 1.18 denotes this wickedness. God, does, God describes what will happen, but he does not prescribe what will happen. God acts from his character, from who he is, not from foretold knowledge. Scripture contrasts, contrasts Judas with Mary. Judas did not want to waste anything, whereas Mary wanted to waste everything on Jesus. Judas came to Jesus and kissed him to betray him. Mary came and would not stop kissing his feet. He had these two disciples, if you will, on opposite characters. Here, 
Judas betrayed Jesus for greed, for money. Politicians have sold out for contracts. Spies have betrayed nations. Businessmen have made unethical decisions. Students have cheated. Authorities have looked the other way. Spouses have left spouses. Children have left children. All for what? For profit and for greed. A pastor's wife, friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, his wife just left him recently because she was tired of their socioeconomic status. And she says, I'm tired of being poor. I'm tired of being your wife. I'm leaving you. She didn't want to live as a poor person anymore. Many of you may come from an immigrant background. You know, if you are from an immigrant narrative, your, your parents, or maybe you, or your grandparents, who left their mother country and came to this country of Canada, they are crazy people. Insane. To leave the only place you know, to leave people that look all looking like you, and you come to another country to speak a different language, different food, different ways of doing things, and then to raise their children there as one of them. The immigrant narrative is so severe is that their objective in life is to live better than people back in their home country. That's the gamble that they made. And if they come here and they live worse than the village back home, they don't communicate with home. You understand? For those of you who know, you know what I'm talking about. But if, if they do live better, then they have opportunity to go back to their village. Say, hello, I am from Canada. I am from North America. America. You know, you, you know how it works. And you give presents out. And you're like, yes, I am so wealthy. And, uh, and my son is a lawyer. And he married a doctor. And their son is the prime minister of Canada. <laughs> In many ways, it is very difficult for those of the immigrant narrative to accept the cross of Jesus. It's inconvenient for them. You see mom and dad go through sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Mom and dad have two or three jobs. Grandpa and grandma, they wake up at, at five in the morning and they come home at four in the morning and sleep for an hour and they go back to work. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Grandma was working in the dry cleaners and she died, you know, pressing the, 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 the suit that she had. Grandpa died because of the ox that ran over him. Mom and dad died at the restaurant because they, they caught on fire, whatever. And the, all this sacrifice. And then they come to church and they hear, well, Jesus died for you too. Well, like, this is sacrifice overload. And like, I don't like this. This is inconvenient. And many people say, I don't like Jesus. I just want to live my life. Jesus interrupts my economic narrative, my profit narrative, my income narrative. So just like Judas, whether you're an immigrant or not, we crucify there are Judases amongst us here today. Next passage. Matthew chapter 27 verse, 20, uh, 27, verse 17. 27, verse 17. Therefore, 
Are you there? Verse 17, Matthew chapter 27, verse 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they delivered him. Who is they? It's not Pilate. These are the Jewish leaders they came in. And verse 18, that for, not for greed, but for what? For envy they had what? Paradidomide him. So Judas betrays Jesus for greed. The Jews betray him for envy. In Acts 2.36, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And he's talking to the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders. Acts 3.13, whom you delivered up. Verse 14, you denied the Holy One and killed the just. Verse 15, you killed the Prince of Life. For chapter 4, verse 10, whom you crucified. This is Peter being very pointed to his own people. The same individuals who killed Jesus were the ones who Peter was trying to reach in the book of Acts. And many did repent on that day. The reality is this. Jesus was not a regular preacher. He was not a real rabbi. He had no credentials, no license, no approval, no proper authorization, no diploma, no degree. He fraternized with disreputable people. He feasted instead of fasted. He wasn't one of the company men. He didn't want to keep the status quo. He healed on the Sabbath. And he claimed to be equal with the Father, which was blasphemy. Why did the priests want to kill Jesus? Simple. Envy. He did not go through what we went through, but he's getting all the glory. We're envious of this. They were not concerned for political stability or doctrine, truth, or moral purity. They were proud as a race. They had nationalism in them, and they were religiously and morally arrogant. They had a long history of accomplishments and they had to believe in a special relationship with God and they had created all these political uh, alliances with Rome and here Jesus was threatening their existence. They were proud of authority and this was a turf war. A what war? Do we have turf wars today? Do we have turf wars today? I don't want you around. What's, by what authority are you doing? Who do you think you are? We say these things. For the priests, they place their confidence in their race, their position, their name, their power, their influence. And in front of Jesus, all these things melted away and they got super insecure. Soon, all the things that we place our confidence will melt away at the second coming of Jesus. You know, I say this to my wife. I say this to my wife. Uh, when she had a handbag one time that had something on it. She got some... Um, oh, this thing turned off. She got some, some stain on it. And uh, I don't like handbags. Handbags are girly. And I said, uh, well, you know, honey, at the second coming of Jesus, it's going to burn. And we shouldn't place her confidence in these things. And she was like sad. She's like, oh, man, that's not very comforting. You know, thank you for being a compassionate husband. 
And it's kind of a running joke when we go around, you know, when, when, you know, she burnt something on the kitchen. I'm like, that's okay. When Jesus comes, it'll all burn, you know, just, it'll all burn. It's okay. And she was getting really annoyed at me that one time that I had my favorite dress shirt and I was eating some pasta and I got some, some stain on it. I'm like, oh, I got some stain and try to wash it out with some cold water and it wouldn't come out. I'm like, oh, honey, do you know any secrets to get this out? She's like, don't worry. It'll burn when Jesus comes. I'm like, oh, what, what? What comes around, what goes around, just be nice to everyone, yeah? Just be nice. <laughs> you know, we don't like Jesus coming into our privacy. We don't, we don't like when he demands our homage and, then when, and when he expects our obedience. And we just, sometimes we ask, Jesus, can you just leave me alone? Why do you got to convict me on all these different levels? It's very inconvenient. I just want my things and just me, let me be comfortable with my things. And Jesus saying, well, one day these things are going to burn away. The only one thing that will secure you is my relationship with you. The Jews said, I don't want this. And for envy, they betray Jesus. They parodidomai him. They, Jesus seeks to disrupt our status quo. I like that. Jesus doesn't throw, uh, overthrow our governments and our systems. He overthrows the governments and systems of our hearts. This is where he's trying to get at the authority. Authority is not based on ourselves, but based on God. So Jesus interrupts your socio-political narrative, your legal narrative, maybe your immigration narrative, your independence narrative. And because he's so inconvenient, we crucify him. Very easy to do that. Number three, Pilate, Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, 27 Chapter 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Pilate was actually a good administrator. And by good, I don't mean morally good. I just mean in terms of administration, he was very good. He was around in AD 26 to 36. There are secular documents that prove that Pilate existed. He was hated by the Jews, and he used temple taxes to build an aqueduct at that, at that time. Verse 25. Then answered all the people and said, and said, His blood be on us and our children. Verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he what? He parodidomied him to be crucified. Here, Pilate is very interesting. He is, if you know, if you, if you look at actually how the spirit of prophecy delineates the story, Pilate was trying to squirm himself out of the situation. Luke chapter 23, verse 2. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give Caesar, uh, tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the people, I find, fault in, in, I find no fault in this man. Since Pilate is in charge of the south and Herod is in charge of the north, Pilate was like, his first tactic was this. Uh, I don't want to deal with this. This is going to get sticky. Uh, this church board is going to go, we're going to fight. And so I don't want to deal with this. I'll just move this to another person's jurisdiction. So what happens? He sends him to Herod. What does Herod do? Brings him right back. He's like, ah, that didn't work. Hmm. Number two. He, Pilate punishes him publicly and tries to get pity from the people. 
So he punishes him bloodily and tries to elicit some form of compassion from the people. John 19, verse 1. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put, it, put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him before him to you, that you may know that I find no fault with it in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. Meaning, look at him, you guys. Hasn't he gone through enough? Let's just not deal with this situation right now. What happened? That egged them on even further. Number three, Pilate's thinking, what do I do? I try to bump him to another jurisdiction. That didn't work. I try to elicit compassion. They're not being compassionate. So what does he do? And the next tactic is this, John 19.39. Uh, you have a custom that I should release unto you one at Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. But now Barabbas was a robber. If you know something about Barabbas, Barabbas was a cult leader. He was a what, everyone? He was a cult leader. His name was Yeshua Baraba. We find him in secular documents. His first name was Yeshua. His first name, Yeshua, in Greek is the same name as Jesus. His name is Jesus Baraba. Baraba, Bar, means son. Abba means father, meaning his name was Jesus, son of the father. What? He was of a different order, of a different world. He was a son of a different father. He was a, a thief and a robber, and he started a political rebellion against the Roman government, and he wanted to create a new religion coming up from the Jewish people. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And he was a revolutionary. He was a murderer and assassin, and he killed Roman uh, politicians. And so he says, this is in, in Pilate's thinking, he's like, look, I tried to bump him to another jurisdiction. That didn't work. I'm going to beat him up and elicit compassion. That didn't work. You know what? I'm going to choose the worst person, the person that they hate for sure, and compare him to him, and they're going to have compassion, and they're going to choose Jesus. Did that work? They said, we want the cult leader rather than Jesus. We want the false Jesus instead of the real Jesus. Today, we say the same thing. We want sports heroes, movie stars, music heroes, Marvel superheroes, financiers, politicians, ideologies, different roles of ambition instead of the real Jesus. So what does Pilate do? He gets all dramatic, and he says, I'm innocent. Matthew 27, verse 24. Matthew 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Too often, we look for ways on how we can have Jesus and our way together, and we find different strategic ways to have both. Yes? Anxious to avoid the pain of a wholehearted commitment to Jesus, we squirm and we look for ways out. We compromise. We seek to honor Jesus in a lesser way, and we call him a good man or a good teacher, and we just do the minimal that we can to be considered a Christian or an Adventist. And we have, with our, the, the more intelligence we have, the more of a strategic way we find to customize our minimal spirituality. Mark 15, 15, the Bible says, Pilate 
so willing to content the people. John 19, verse 12, it was this that was the final thing. The Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you're not a friend of Caesar. This is a political accusation. Pilate was guaranteed imperial favor, but now, because he was accused of being a compromiser, he became a coward. And so Jesus interrupts your social life, your social standing, your ambition narrative, your social media narrative. Jesus is not convenient. Judas wanted security, wealth, power, and peace. Jews wanted authority, legitimacy, legitimacy, self-respect, self-determination, and peace. Pilate wanted adulation, favor, and peace. They all wanted peace. So what did they do? They paradidomide Jesus. Yet they are not really to blame. Jesus said they don't know what they're doing. Paul said they acted in ignorance. So we don't need to be anti-Judasite, anti-Semitite, anti-Pilatite. I don't know if that's a word. We do the same things today, yes or no? We need money, so we work on Sabbath. We crucify Christ. We take a job that the Christians should not take, so we crucify Jesus. We want independence. We, when we, want, we eat what we want to eat. We do what we want to want. We do what we want to do. We spend money on what we want to spend money on. We live that lifestyle that's not biblical, so we crucify Jesus. We want ambition. We meet the people that we shouldn't. We date and we marry the people that the Bible says we shouldn't. We want to impress the people that we don't like. So what do we do? We crucify Jesus. We're the ones that killed Jesus. Christ is inconvenient. And Christ interrupts our narrative. But this morning, I'm not here to give you a guilt trip. There's another, there's a fifth party. Not Judas who paradidomized Jesus. Not the Jewish leaders who paradidomized Jesus. Not Pilate who paradidomized Jesus. And not us who paradidomized Jesus. But go to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Romans 8, 31 and 32. The Bible says, are you there? <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 8, 31 the Bible says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but what? Parodidomide him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who has crucified Jesus? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not Jews for envy, but God the Father for love. Jesus did not die a martyr. Jesus went voluntarily. John 10, 11, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life that I might take it again. Verse 18, no man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. So listen very carefully. This is the conclusion. Judas wanted peace by things, so he betrayed Jesus. The Jewish leaders, leaders wanted peace by politics, 
and they crucified Jesus. Pilate wanted peace by strategy, and he crucified Jesus. But God the Father also wanted peace. He he wanted peace in his heart. He wanted peace that knowing that his lost children would be saved. And God the Father paradidomized Jesus because of love. Perhaps today, this morning, you've been struggling with some things and you want peace. You want real soul peace. Not, not like, you know, peace, peace, but soul peace. You want to be made right with God. You want Jesus to be the center and, and, and the, of your life and the, and the reality, to have a real picture of Jesus in your life. And you need the peace of the cross. We need the cross for our greed to die, for our ambition narrative to die. We need fear to die. We need pride to die. We need to struggle to die. And this is only done by the cross. We need Jesus to interrupt our narrative. How many have been trying for a very long time? And you're battling this, this, this gymnastic, you know, construct of you're trying to be spiritual, but you're trying to have your way and trying to do all these things, and you just have this, this masterpiece of a life, but you're barely holding it together. And you have no peace. So, Lord, help me to drop it. It's all going to burn when Jesus comes anyway. And I need the peace of the cross. How many of you, is that your prayer? Lord, interrupt my narrative. Raise your hands up high. By raising your hand, you know what you're saying? You're not raising these hands up in front of me or in front of the camera. But you're raising them hand. You know, you know why Adventists do this? You know why Adventists do... Keep your hands down. You, can, you, know. you know why Adventists do this? This altar call and this what? It's not for the, the, the camera. It's not for the preacher to, okay, let's see who, you did not raise your hand, we're going to, it's not for that. It's not even for God. And some of you are like, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, of course he knows your heart. It's not even for God. Do you know who who it's for? You may say, it's for me. No, you already know what you're doing. I I hope you know what you're doing when you're raising your hand. It's for the angels and for the unfallen worlds. That in the great controversy, in this investigative judgment, they're watching us and they're like, is he sincere? We're like, well, I know in my heart. But they can't read your heart. God can read your heart. God, God and you know. But they don't know. The Klingons and the Ewoks and the Martians and the, and the Vulcans, they don't know. And so when they see down here and they're like, man, this brother here, this sister here, they're living this kind of life. But, oh, they're raising, they're asking Jesus for help. And so now when we ask Jesus for help, now their eyes are no longer on us. Now who is it on? On Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So how many want to say, Lord, help me and angels bear witness to my plea? Look around you and say, hello, angels. See, some of you laugh, and it is kind of funny in one sense. But do you really believe that we are living in this great controversy? Do you really believe that the blood of Jesus has efficacy to change our lives? Do you believe 
that God will interrupt your life and cause inconvenience in your finances, in your relationships, in your time spending, in everything that you do. Jesus ain't convenient. Otherwise, we just parodidomai him away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you see the hands that have been risen. And Lord, we know you know. And so, Father, we ask that you help us. But Father, we raise our hands. In one sense, asking forgiveness for the times where we have betrayed you. Times where we betrayed you in private. Times where we betrayed you in public. Times where we betrayed you before all the angels and all the universe. Times where we betrayed you even within our own conscience. Father, we ask that the blood of Jesus cleanse us and cleanse us deep. But Father, now we also ask for the blood of Jesus to empower us to change us, and to interrupt us. Father, we didn't come here to, to, to listen to a good message, to, to feel good. We, we came here looking for hope. And that hope can only be provided not by a speaker, not by a conference, but by the cross of thy Son. Lord, before all the angels, we ask, including the speaker, including those who may be watching or listening through digital means, Father, may all the universe see how powerful the blood of Jesus is in our lives. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.